and welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. It is so great and wonderful to <laughs> welcome all of you to another podcast of Sunshine USA, originating live and direct from my hometown of Greenville, South Carolina. In fact, I, I do this podcast all the way from my apartment. <laughs> and, you know, I could just see it now. We've got folks in Africa that have their smartphones out and they're tuning in to Sunshine USA. We're also going into Israel, which I really, really get excited about. I mean, what could be better than teaching the Bible in the land of the Bible? I I just don't know. (laughs) Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, it is a, a great joy to welcome you to the program. I'm Warren Landis. I'm the host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, I am uh, here to tell you that uh, that uh, we are in the book of Acts. And today we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, here we go. Yeah. And um, yesterday, or I should say yesterday evening, we talked about the day of Pentecost and the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And fortunately, the disciples had the good sense not to do anything really until, first of all, they had received the Holy Spirit. Now, I think one of the unwisest things any church could do is to try to do anything without the Holy Spirit. Because, obviously, we want the Holy Spirit to be in control of everything we do. And that should be true with you personally as well. You shouldn't want to even start your day without knowing that the Holy Spirit is leading you, guiding you, and directing you all throughout that day. And He will if you ask them to. Amen. (laughs) And you know, it's interesting. One of the things we saw yesterday on the program is that these people, they received the Holy Spirit. Everybody heard the gospel in their own language. And that was the real miracle right there. Everybody heard the word of God in their own language, in their own tongue. And of course, the disciples, they were all Galileans. And the people there seemingly realized the Galileans were not all that well educated. They didn't speak multiple languages like other people did. And so it was kind of amazing that for men that only spoke Galilean, everybody heard the word of the Lord in their own tongue. That was amazing. And we saw yesterday how hundreds and thousands of people every day were being added to the church. And that was so exciting. Well, in fact, backing up, I don't know if this will let us back up or not. Let's see. Let's back up just a minute to 
Acts chapter 2. And, uh, here at the end of Acts chapter 2, it says, With one accord, they continued to meet daily in the temple courts. And so this thing of going to the temple, going to what we would call church today, this was a daily thing. It was not a weekly thing. It was a daily thing. <laughs> Most pastors tell me that they have to struggle to get people to come to church one day a week on Sunday morning. But it seems that first century church, they had a habit of coming to church all throughout the day. Every day. I don't mean to say they were in there all day long every day, but they, they went to church every day. Or they went, we should say, to the temple every day, which was their place of worship. And boy, I tell you, that was dedication. I remember when I was in New Orleans as a seminary student. We had a Catholic church down the road from where the seminary was located. And there they had Catholics going to church every morning of the week at 6 a.m. And I remember asking one of my friends, I said, I wonder how many Baptists would do that. It'd be pretty hard to get Baptists to come to church every day at 6 a.m. I mean, that requires a lot of love for the Lord. And it requires a lot of dedication and commitment. It says, with one accord... In other words, they were in complete agreement. They were unified. They continued to meet daily in the temple courts and, and to break bread from house to house, sharing their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amen. Now, we're going to have to start doing, folks, the things that they used to do if we're going to see results like that in our churches today. We're going to have to have a desire to start coming to church a lot more often and worshiping God publicly more often if we want to see revivals break out. As I pointed out, I think, on yesterday evening's broadcast, I pointed out how in the 1950s, in the early 1950s, Billy Graham would hold a crusade in a town or city, and it was very common for him to hold crusade services every night for a couple of months. I was listening to one of those sermons that they were playing on the Billy Graham channel on Sirius XM radio, and that particular sermon was recorded during that two-month stay. Every night it was a different sermon, and, and the thing is, people came every night. They didn't stay home to watch their favorite TV show. They didn't stay home to be on the internet. I mean, in those days, they didn't have internet. 
obviously. They might have had television. Before that, sitting around the radio was pretty popular. But those Christians in the early 1950s, you know what? They came, you might say, to church every single night. And they not only came to church, boy, I mean, they, they dressed up in their Sunday best. I mean, some of these dudes, I mean, they might have been construction workers in the daytime. But they went home, took a shower, got their Sunday suit on, and they went to church. I mean, that required sacrifice. It required effort. Frankly, it required a lot of love for the Lord. Because you just wouldn't do that every night for two months unless you loved the Lord. But because they were willing to do that, and we're not willing to do that today, that's why we've gone such a long spell now without seeing real revival breaking out in this particular country of ours. We would see more results like that if we made it a point to uh, do some of the things that they used to do in the old days. Now we come to Acts chapter 3. Verse 1, it says, One afternoon, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, that is to say, the ninth hour. <clears throat> now, it has to be pointed out that would be about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, our time. Yep, I was right. 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, that's when they would uh, go to the temple. And once again, that requires dedication. Now, I'm told that back in the old days, especially in the hottest part of the year, a lot of times people took a siesta in the middle part of the day. That might have been the custom back then, and so they used their siesta time to go to the temple. So this was a daily routine for them. <clears throat> and it says here in verse 2, And a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put out <clears throat> every day to beg from those entering the temple courts. Now, bearing in mind back at this time, Back in New Testament times, they did not have any kind of government program to take care of the needy. They, they just didn't. There was no program to take care of the needy people. And so about the only way this man, who obviously couldn't work, about the only way he could survive economically was to stand outside, or should I say sit outside, the temple gate and ask for alms. And judging from the context here, it didn't seem that too many people were complaining about that. I mean, this was to be expected. And like I say, this was how people supported themselves in those days. Like I say, there was no government program. And so this was a daily habit of his 
And when he saw Peter and John, and they were about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked directly at him, as did John. Now that is commendable. I'm sure back then, just like today, there, there was a lot of people that walked just right past them, ignored them, didn't say anything, didn't do anything, didn't look at them. But Peter and John looked at him. And they said, look at us, said Peter. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from him. Now, usually by this point, if the people would stop and talk to them, he knew that they would probably give him something. Well, you might say Peter and John were going to give him something, but not what he was expecting. And Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Now, I have to point out, back in these days, these original disciples, they had what was called apostolic authority. They had the ability to do miracles, to do wonders, and it was God's way of authenticating the message. In other words, when they could do something like heal somebody, something that was beyond the realm of possibility as far as medical science was concerned, it was considered a miracle and it confirmed in this case, that Peter and John were legit. They were the real deal. They were real men of God. Taking him by the right hand, Peter helped him up. And at once the man's feet and ankles were made strong. He sprang up to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and leaping and praising God. Woo! <laughs> well, I guess so. He'd been lame from birth. I mean, uh, it sort of seems that from birth this man was not able to support himself. But now all of a sudden he was able to walk. Now, I find the response of this guy very remarkable. You know, nowadays, when you go around town and you see someone who is, uh, you know, um, holding up a sign will work for food, if you don't give them money, if you don't give them food, you know what they're going to do? They're going to cuss you out. Not this man. He still listened to whatever Peter and John had to say. And as he listened to them, he ended up getting healed. Now all of a sudden he could walk. And he goes with them into the temple courts. He doesn't go on about his merry way like some would have done. 
he accompanies Peter and John into the temple courts, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, you know this had to get a lot of attention, right? It most certainly did. It got a lot of attention. Attention like you wouldn't believe. Amen. In the next verse, verse 9, it says, And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You see, if, if this guy was a Johnny-come-lately, it probably wouldn't have been so amazing. They probably would have said, well, that guy's probably not even lame. He's probably just trying to get a buck. But you see, in this case, this was someone they knew. They happened to have first-hand knowledge. This man was born crippled. He was not able to walk. And now here they are filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, by the way, I've got to inject this at some point anyways. I'm going to inject it here. I don't have any problem believing in divine healing even today. I could tell you in my case, I have been divinely healed many times. And so I know that divine healing is just as real today as it was 2,000 years ago. I'm not one of these people who believe that the gift of healing was for back then, but not now. God is still in the healing business. Now, I feel like this is a very important point for me to drive home. I remember one time I was talking to somebody about this, and he said, well, Warren, I want you to know, I just don't think healing is for today. I said, you don't? Well, I said, I happen to know at your church, at the end of every service, the pastor asks for prayer requests, and people start giving their prayer requests, and the pastor writes them down and hands these requests out to the people. And the people seem to be praying for these people. Why would you pray for healing if you don't believe healing is possible? Well, preacher, that's just the appropriate thing to do, just to pray. So I said, so you're saying then that you pray for these people, but you don't really think they're going to be healed. And he said, no, they're not going to be healed because healing is not for today. Well, usually people like that, I don't waste my time arguing with them. Because I have the good sense to know that no matter what I say, no matter how I try to convince them that healing is just as much for today as it was then, he is strongly going to disagree with me. Amen. And then we find, like I say, that the people were amazed. Then we come to verse 11. It says, While the man clung to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and ran to them in the walkway called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he addressed the people. He said, Men of Israel, why are you surprised by this? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? You see, that's what I like about Peter. 
Because even though he was an apostle, and even though Jesus had given the apostles apostolic authority, the fact of the matter is, even Peter recognized that ultimately it is God who heals, not them. So he says, uh, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? He goes on to say in verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over and rejected him before Pilate, even though he had decided to release him. Now think about that. Pilate told them point blank. He said, you know what? I want you to know I find no fault in this guy. He said, now I've got an annual custom here of releasing a prisoner every year about this time. And I would be very happy to release this guy Barabbas if you would like. Or I can release Jesus instead. And the people said, no, we want Jesus crucified. Release Barabbas. So they rele he released Barabbas. He said, you rejected, verse 14, you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer, in this case Barabbas, be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of that fact. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man in whom you see and know has been made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has given him this complete healing in your presence. Now, once again, the commendable thing here is Peter and John are not really taking credit for the healing. They're giving all of that credit to God. They said ultimately it is God who is doing the healing, not us. He says in verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but in this way, God has fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn back so that your sins may be wiped away, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, who has been appointed for you. Heaven must take him in until the time comes for the restoration of all things. When God announced long ago through his holy prophets, for Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to him in everything he tells you. Everyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many have spoken, have proclaimed these days. You are 
sons of the prophets, and of the covenant God made with your fathers when he said to Abraham, Through your offspring all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Now, Peter was also hinting here at the fact that they were now going into a time of transition. Up until now, the, the gospel was primarily available to the Jews. But now, because the Jews rejected Christ, now we find that the Lord is going to start making his gospel available to the Gentiles. And this is a hint of what is to come. But notice that Peter here is trying to lead them to Christ and the new life that Christ provides. And in so doing, if he pulls it off, it'll be a miracle far greater than the miracle of this lame man being made to walk. And by the way, I would say even to this day, of all the miracles that Jesus has ever done and continues to do. The greatest miracle of all is the fact that you and I have Jesus Christ as our Savior. He saved us. He has given us a brand new life. It's not an old life patched up. But let me tell you, it is a brand spanking new life. Amen. How we praise God for that. Now, by the way, that brings us to the end of Acts chapter 3. And next time we'll pick up with Acts chapter 4 and we find that Peter and John have to make an appearance before the Sanhedrin. And that lets us know that they were going to get in trouble for what they had done. You have to remember the religious leaders felt very much threatened by the claims of these apostles. The Pharisees ended up with a lot of power and a lot of authority, and they didn't want anybody ruining their system for them. Furthermore, they almost they had what was almost a really good peace agreement between them and the Roman Empire. Now you have to understand the Jews at this time were under dominion of the Roman Empire. But for the most part, the Roman Empire allowed these Jewish religious leaders to have a certain degree of autonomy. 
They agreed to let them practice their religion and even have their own religious court, which was called the Sanhedrin. And there they would be able to enforce the laws of the Jewish faith. But, if these Christians keep pointing to Jesus Christ as the king, they knew that this would actually be a threat to their peace agreement with Rome. And so they felt like they had to squash this movement before it got started good. But I think next time we're going to see just how strong the faith was that Peter and John had. And, and you know, that's the wonderful thing about the resurrection. That's the wonderful thing about the resurrection. Um, these disciples, before the resurrection, they followed Jesus at a guilty distance. Before the resurrection, these disciples were practically in hiding. They were afraid to any longer be associated with Jesus because they were afraid of being killed or put into prison the same as Jesus. But after the resurrection, we see the impact that the resurrection had on those original disciples. It changed their life. Now instead of being a bunch of scaredy cats and a bunch of wimps, they became spiritual giants willing to risk persecution in order to turn their world inside out and upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, another thing that's pretty interesting here, I'm afraid that going out into the future, we're going to see more and more in the way of religious persecution in this country. I believe it's going to happen. In fact, I would say I know it's going to happen. And we have to ask God for the same courage that Peter and John and the other disciples had, the willingness to face persecution for Jesus. Now, you know, this past year here in the United States and really all over the world for that matter, it's been a very interesting time. This is the first time in my life this past year, it was the first time in my life in this country, the United States, where I actually heard about preachers being thrown into jail for preaching the gospel in person at their churches. I thank God that we have a good Christian man as governor here in South Carolina. His decision was not to close the churches down. He gave a lot of authority and a lot of discretion to each local pastor. And so therefore, many of the churches, while they were closed in other parts of the country, they were open here. But even here in South Carolina, even though the, the governor said, you guys can open if you want to, you can have services if you want to, most pastors played it safe.
at the peak of the pandemic. They did services online. As the pandemic started easing up a little bit last spring, they started holding services in the parking lot outdoors. So what I was impressed by is the fact that the pastors in this state had a desire to do the right thing. And as a result, we avoided a lot of the persecution that pastors were facing in other parts of the country. I heard that in California, for example, there were several pastors that were actually locked up in jail for no other reason than the fact that they held services at their church. And, and here's the interesting thing, and it's like some of these pastors pointed out at their trial. In many cases, these were actually small congregations that didn't have as many people as Walmart or some of these other grocery stores that were allowed to open and serve the public in person. And the idea was, if they can do that, then we should be able to do that as well. Amen? Amen. And so that is what happened. And I believe many of these pastors actually won their cases. And in many cases around this country, the Supreme Court eventually got around a ruling that under the First Amendment, the church had considerable authority to meet and hold services, and this was a great thing. Amen. But thank God for the fact that even today we still have people with backbone that are willing to serve the Lord and worship the Lord in every way possible. Amen. Now, uh, like I say, that brings us to the end of chapter 3. And that means uh, next time we're going to uh, pick up with chapter 4 and see what kind of a price Peter and John would have to pay for their particular so-called crime of healing a man, even though they really didn't heal him. It was really ultimately God who did the healing. But nonetheless, Peter and John, they ended up paying a price for that. Okay, well, if you have any Bible study questions or prayer requests, you're invited to let me know. My uh, email address, in fact, I've got two email addresses, and you can write me at either email address, and I'll be glad to read your prayer requests and Bible study questions, and I'll get back with you just as quickly as possible. And if you would like to send me a snail mail, you know, there's some people, they don't like to communicate by email. Some people refuse to give, get a computer. They still do things the old-fashioned way. So my snail mail address is Warren Landis, 3001-3001, Old Buncombe Road, apartment number 8, 
Greenville, South Carolina, 29609. This Warren Landis, 3001 Old Buncombe Road, apartment number 8, Greenville, South Carolina, 29609. And if you go that route, then before you close the envelope, maybe you want to pray about whether or not the Lord would have you donate money to this ministry so that we can expand and reach even more people than we're reaching now. And I assure you every dollar will be used effectively and carefully. Um, it might be pointed out that I'm the only employee of Sunshine USA. And not only am I the only employee of Sunshine USA, but I get no I, I get no uh, salary. I get no paycheck for doing this particular program. So the money you give goes directly into actually doing ministry here on the earth. Amen. <laughs> None of it goes into my bank account. None of it goes to pay my personal bills. All of it goes toward the preaching and the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we use it just as effectively as we know how. You'll also take notice of the fact that we do not ask you to give money to this ministry instead of to your local church. Because trust me, your local church needs money. Amen. They need financial support probably now more than ever before. And so support your local church first. And then if you have money left over, you could feel free to go ahead and put some money in the envelope and give it to our ministry. And like I say, it will be used very effectively. We consider ourselves to be a friend of the local church, not a foe. For example, if somebody gets saved through this ministry, my practice is to direct them to a local church in the city or town in which they live. We also try to send them materials that are going to help them to grow as a Christian. And we will do everything we can to make them into strong Believers for Jesus Christ. Amen. But we can't do a lot of these things unless we have financial support from you. We would love to be able to buy airtime on TV and radio stations across America. I would love for us to have the ability to send out missionaries and build churches in other countries. But once again, it takes money to do all that. And that's where your financial support comes in. So hopefully you will pray about it. And hey, if God tells you not to give any money to this ministry, then by all means, don't give anything to this ministry. We only want people giving money to this ministry if they love the Lord and if they feel impressed to the Lord to give. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, guess what? That brings us to the end of another program. And um, you don't need to fret none, though, because I will be back. As far as I know now, I'll be back again tomorrow night, 
just 24 hours from now, I'll be right back. Once again, teaching from the Word of God. Until then, God bless you. And I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.